0: Morning. Oh, Bible upside down isn't a good start, is it? It's sort of. A, that, that'll be interesting reading that. Um, uh, my name's Paul. Uh, I'm one of the pastors at King's Hastings. It's a real privilege to uh, be with you today. Uh, I've known Richard for many, many years now, and uh, good friends. And uh, he's come and served us over in Hastings a couple of times, uh, preaching, and he's always been a real encouragement. So it's. Uh, It's great to be with you and uh, see what God's doing and uh, enjoy your wonderful building that you've had for a couple of years now. Um, Absolutely, uh, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, Yeah, um, my family isn't in here, but you'll have to just trust me that they are here with me somewhere. Um, So I'm married to a lovely lady called Chloe. Um, I've got four boys. Um, Charlie, who is... um, uh, 13, and uh, then Joshua and Ethan and Freddie, who is six, and I think they're out enjoying the, the children's work and the youth work at the moment, which is absolutely, uh, absolutely great. Um, we were praying for you guys this morning. We were praying that God would bless you, and be with you and uh, strengthen you. They also prayed very fervently that God would help me so that uh, I'm a blessing to you and uh, that it, that it goes well. So, uh, um, and I'm sure I'm sure it will. If you've got your Bibles, if you could turn, please, to Exodus chapter three. Um, it's it's a, it's a passage that sort of come back to me on and off throughout the year really. It's something that's been very provoking for me um, as I've led in Hastings and, and I'm, I'm really hoping and trusting that it will be a blessing to yourselves as well as I, as I communicate um, this morning. So Exodus chapter 3 and we're going to read the first uh, 12 verses. I'm reading from the NIV. I'm not certain quite what you'd normally read here but uh, I'm sure you'll follow along anyway. Now Moses was tending the flock of, of Jethro his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face. Because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Let's just pray, and then we'll dive in. Lord, we thank you for your righteousness. I thank you this morning that so many of us can be sat here confident, not because of past performance, not because of background, education or anything like that, but because you, Jesus Christ, are the perfect, spotless Lamb of God who was sacrificed that we might be cleansed, forgiven, and made righteous. And I thank you, Lord, that's a gift given to us. It's your grace. I pray, Lord, that that will really soak into our hearts today, that we see it afresh. I pray, Lord, that as I speak, please help me to communicate well. Please help me to know where to linger and where to move on. I pray, Holy Spirit, will you be very active in all of us. Open our hearts, open our minds to your word. I pray, Lord God, that we will get this morning what you'd have us receive. I pray we'd be active hearers. We ask that in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. This is such an exciting passage. And uh, this morning we're going to be looking at God's mission and we're going to look at God's promise. If you don't know the background to the story, about 400 years before this passage, before we read this bit of the story, Jacob and his 12 sons went down into Egypt because there was famine in the land that they were living in. And uh, when Jacob and his sons went down, they were well received by the Egyptians. It all went really, really well. But over, the, over time, over the 400 years, um, Israel, the nation of Israel, grew bigger and bigger. What was just 12 sons, 70 in all, grew to be a mighty nation of hundreds of thousands of people. To the point, actually, where Pharaoh and the Egyptians started getting intimidated. So they started to oppress Israel. They enslaved them. And by the time we pick this story up now, um, Israel is in a terrible state. They're in a lot of trouble, and we're going to look at that in a minute. They, they are in all sorts of mess. And uh, this is a story, or this is the very start of the story, the Exodus story, where God raises up this man Moses to see his people delivered from slavery, to see them set free from oppression. And as we work our way through this passage, it's mainly the second half of the passage I'm going to look at. We're just going to look at, look at it under three very simple um, headings. I, I'm always, you know, if I'm preaching, it's always very simple headings um, reflecting the person who's communicating. Um, so if you, know, if you drift off halfway through, that's absolutely fine, but please don't snore. Okay, that, that can be off-putting. But you'll find it very easy to find out where you, you should be as we work our way through. So we're going to look at God sees... We look at God initiates and we're going to look at God's promise. So the first thing is under God sees. He says, God sees Israel's misery. It says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. And I, we can read these passages and so quickly go over it. But, but isn't it amazing God sees isn't it amazing God sees what is going on in people's lives? That He sees you. He He sees what's going on in Lewis. He saw what was happening these hundreds of years ago in Egypt with the Israelites and the oppression that they were under. He saw the slave drivers. He saw how they were worked ruthlessly. God saw the forced labour that they were in. He saw the slavery and everything that would have encompassed, so there would have been no freedom, very few hopes or dreams. It would have been a life sentence passed on to their children. There would have been very little justice. There might have been a little bit, but not much justice. Certainly if there was any interaction with the, the Egyptians, there would have been very little justice. You, they, they wouldn't have owned very much. Even their own lives belonged to someone else. They were in slavery. They were totally at the mercy of other sinful people. And this is something that had grown generation after generation after generation. 400 years worth of enslaving. Israel's existence was horrific. Horrific. And it gets to a low point, we haven't read the passage, but it gets to a low point in chapter 1 of Exodus, verse 16, where midwives are, are ordered by Pharaoh to kill baby boys when they are born so that Israel doesn't get any more powerful. Midwives are instructed to kill baby boys when they are born. I, I, the, the pain, the suffering that Israel was under was absolutely immense. If you want an example of the desperation that a family would have felt at that time, if you read the story of Moses' birth, you'd find that out. Moses was born for three months. He lived at home with his family and it got to the point where parents felt, we can't look after him safely anymore. What are we going to do with him? I know we're going to put him in a basket and we're going to put tar around it, pitch to make it waterproof, and we're going to put him in the Nile because it is safer in the Nile than it is to keep him at home with us. We cannot keep him safe anymore. And uh, I googled, which is always a certain way of getting the truth, I googled to find out what sort of animals live in the Nile. Crocodiles, hippos and snakes. And yet Pharaoh's mum and dad, no, Moses' mum and dad thought it was safer To put their baby boy at the edge of the Nile than to keep him home with them. Israel were in desperate slavery. And if you were born in that generation, you would think this is 400 years worth. What hope is there for change? What chance is there ever of seeing any transformation in this situation? It was atrocious. God sees. God saw then, and God sees now. He sees, I I don't know much about Lewis. If if you are a cross section of Lewis community, they are truly blessed. But I don't I don't know what's going on in Lewis. But God sees. Let me ask you a question. Do you? God sees the tyranny of sin. God sees all the pain that it causes. God sees the ruthlessness of it. It wants to consume an individual and destroy a family. God sees that. But can I ask you, Lewis Church, because I'm only here once, you see, I can be quite bold. Rich will tell me off later. but, But God sees that sin, but do you? You see, because throughout the history of the church, the church has suffered from something called selective blindness. They don't always really see what is going on in broader society. In fact, we live in a society that does everything it can to insulate itself from pain. We, we live in a society where, where if, if, to insulate myself personally from, from pain myself, but also from the pain of other people. I would rather not look... I'd rather not see, I'd rather not touch in any way because of what it will do to me. And just, like I said, they're simple points, but I just want to ask the question, God knows what's going on in Lewis. The pain, the breakdown of the family, the tyranny of sin. I just want to ask you, do you give a bit of time just to look yourselves? Do you allow it to affect your heart? and your mind? Do you, do you cry? Do you consider? Do you know what's going on around you? In Hastings as a church, if, if we're honest, for maybe many years we'd got to a position where we didn't really know so much what was going on around us. And about 18 months ago we, we opened a food bank and many in the church thought there's no point doing a food bank because no one needs food in UK society. We're, we're fine. In the first year, we fed 3,000 people, giving them just food. And the stories and the heartbreak and, and what, what is happening in people's lives is really difficult. But, but it's not about a project, it's about touching your hearts as a church. God sees. But do you? I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. It's why we're here, Church. A reflection of God to Lewis and the villages around. God sees, and then he initiates. He turns up and he says to Moses... I have come down to rescue them. Always be nervous if you feel God saying something along the lines of that, because you'll see a little bit later on that although God has come down to rescue them, He's got an idea of using someone to do it. What what starts, what starts in the uh, throne room of heaven? I mean, I don't know. I just wonder whether God had a conversation. You know, the Holy Spirit, the Father, Son. Is now the time to go? After 400 years of suffering, I guess that would have meant a number of generations would have been born into slavery and died into slavery with no redemption. I mean, that must have been hard as God's people. But there was this moment where God initiates. It starts in the throne room of heaven. God has decided, I'm now going to rescue my people. How is he going to do it? Is he going to send a legion of angels? Is he going to come himself? Is he he going to bring back Abraham or Isaac or Jacob from the dead? Is he going to use them to do it? No. No, none of those. He chooses an old, rejected ex-prince of Egypt who's been wandering around in circles for decades looking after a few sheep. That's the one he picks. He picks a guy in his 80s. And he says, you're the one I want to use to see my people set free from Egypt. An 80-year-old guy. I'm not going to ask anyone who's 80 here to put their hand up because I don't think any of you are nearly that old. You're all much younger than that. But, but age isn't a reason not to be used by God. God could have intervened directly but he generally calls people to play a part on his behalf. So now go up, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites up? It, it, got, Moses has got some major reservations. God speaks to Moses and then Moses has got a decision to make. You see, you might think, if you've seen the Prince of Egypt, you might think that the real battle started, you know, when, when, God tur- when, when Moses turns up before Pharaoh and, he's, and he says, you know, God says, let my people go. And then he throws the staff down on the ground. It turns into a snake. That's when the battle really starts. That's when, you know, Mo- Moses is socking it to him. Or maybe when he turns the Nile into blood or there's a plague of locusts or there's hailstones the size of cricket balls coming down. That's when the battle really started. The battle started at the burning bush when God said to Moses, I want you to go. Hundreds of miles away from Egypt, in private, God got hold of Moses and he says, I want to use you. The battle started there. And so often for most of us, the battle starts in our own time with God as God calls us to follow him and we have that decision as to whether we're going to or not. It started in the throne room of heaven, but it gets worked out in private a couple of hundred miles away from the problem. Moses had to deal with insecurities and doubts and fears about himself and his own life before ever he would step out and do anything outward for God. In 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through to 31, we won't turn to it because of time, but, but Paul is just talking about this wonderful salvation that we've got, and he says, God loves to choose the foolish things to shame the wise. God loves to choose the weak things to shame the strong. He loves to choose the things that are not to shame the things that are, so that in the end, God gets all of the glory. And it's the same then, and it's the same now. God, God loves to choose people not who are maybe the most equipped or the best able or are full of all the most gifts and talents, but he loves to pick people who will say, yes, I will go. Moses, 40 years earlier, had tried to see Israel delivered. He tried in his own way to make something work, and and, and it had been an absolute flop. He could easily have said, I've tried it 40 years ago, God. You didn't back me up then. I'm not going to try it now. The battle for Israel's freedom started up a mountain when God spoke to Moses. And I wonder if for some of you, if I could be so bold as to say, you're still up the mountain arguing with God. God wants you involved on the front line, but for some reason or another, You've never come down from the mountain. You've not stopped arguing. It might be the past, where things didn't work out as you hoped they would. It might be you just look around, and, and to your mind, everyone else looks more gifted, able, and talented than you are. It might be a matter of priorities. That you know God's saying, you need to prioritise in this area, but you're just not doing it. Just pray. It's alright. Jesus, I, I want to thank you that the call of the gospel has always been the same. Come follow me. It's what happened with Moses on the mountain, it's what happened to Peter 2,000 years ago, and the decision is still the same. For those guys on Alpha, it's come, follow Jesus. And I just want to pray, Lord, if there are any people here today that are battling with God, they know they are. Through circumstance, through doubt, through cynicism. Lord, I ask you this morning it would get nailed. I pray decisions would be made today that no longer am I going to have a foot in two camps, but no, I'm following Jesus. He's called me to follow him. He has got first place in my heart and I'm going to work it out on the ground now. I ask you for that. I pray for the conviction of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, by your grace, there will be no corner left. No room to try and wriggle out, because we know in the end, Lord, following you, Jesus, that, that's grace. That's blessing. That's fulfillment. That's security. We are saying in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. God asked Moses to get involved. God wanted to work with Moses in seeing Israel delivered from Egypt. Hundreds of years later and I, I just want to bring this in because it's 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 the best bit in some ways. Hundreds of years later God initiated himself. So with Moses and Israel he got he got Moses I want you involved, but actually hundreds of years later he did it himself. His only son came and died on the cross. He got involved. He came to set us free from the slavery and the oppression that we were in, that we might live for him. That's what, the, the, in a sense, the, the whole worship this morning was pointing towards, is that Jesus Christ is my righteousness. He's, he's, he's my... Um, Christus Victor, he is the mighty one. He is the glorious one who has set me free from my sin that I might live for someone else, for God himself. And that's that's the age that we are living in now. God God hasn't asked us for self-improvement. He's asked us to work with him, but we do that on the basis that Jesus Christ has set us free from our sin, that we might now live for him. God himself stepped in it says in 1 Peter 2 verse 24 he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed no longer slaves but sons And that is what God is calling us as a church. Sorry, I say us. I'm too used to preaching in Hastings. That's what God is calling you to be involved in here in Lewis. Is seeing men and women set free from slavery, that that they might live for him. And then lastly, we've seen God sees. We've seen that God initiates. And then lastly, I think it's the most important bit, is God's promise. If you go down to verse, uh, verse 12 of uh, chapter 3, you know, we've got this whole thing where Moses says, Who am I? You know, who am I? I can't do it. I'm too old. I've tried in the past. It hasn't worked. Come on, Pharaoh, Pharaoh and his mighty army and his chariots and his horses and, and all of that. I mean, I've tried before. I, you know, who am I? What you notice is that God doesn't answer that. He doesn't give him a punch on the arm, you know, and go, don't you worry, you can do it. You know, don't worry, if you just try hard, you can get through. What, what God says to him is just five very simple words. So it's five words in my Bible anyway. It says this, I will be with you. The, the, the whole crux of the, 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 this whole passage, the whole key part of this, is God's promise. God doesn't say to Moses, actually, you're a better bloke than you think you are. And if you go on a few courses and, uh, you know, if you enroll in this training thing, you really can become something more than you are. The promise, the promise was that God was going to be with Moses. That is the reason why it was going to work. If you know anything of this story and you know the deliverance of Israel, you know that it isn't Moses' effort, it's not his abilities, it's not his, his, his arguing or his ability to discourse with Pharaoh. That's not why Israel got set free. There's not many of us in this room that can deliver ten plagues. You know, anyone would sort of sort, of, you know, just rustle, oh, just rustle up a plague. I didn't learn that at university. Or, or they or, or were led by the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. Now that's, that's another one. I'm always on the way to work, got that pillar of fire in front of me, parting the Red Sea. You know, if we can get a bucket of water, are any of you happy to give it a go? You know, just a bucket of water if you can part it down the middle. You know, that would be quite impressive. Manna from heaven, water from a rock. Sun standing still. These, this, these are the things that made up the deliverance of Israel. It was never going to be done because Moses had some great abilities in himself. The reason it was going to work is because God said, I am with you. And, and it's exactly the same. It's been the same for God's people throughout the ages. When Gideon is hiding, I think he was hiding in a wine press or something like that. God says, you know, stand up, mighty warrior. Gideon says, I'm no mighty warrior. In the end, what made the difference? What, what made the difference? God was with him. And when you look around and maybe if you look and see some of the... Is, is more of Lewis's direction? Or are you about in the middle? That way, that way over there. So if you look, you look at Lewis and you see what's going on in people's lives... And the pain, the debt, the misery, the broken down families, and you see all of that and you think it is overwhelming. How can we make a difference? You make a difference just the same as Moses, the promise. God is with you. You've probably heard it before, but in Hastings, it started. The church started, five people in a basement flat, led by a really great guy, but he was, he's a little quirky, to say the least. You know it wasn't, it wasn't this guy's ability, although he's a good guy, it wasn't that that made a difference. it's that God was with him. And it's the same for yourselves. The, the, the deal maker is the fact that you have God with you. It was the first lesson that Moses needed to learn. And in many ways, it's the most important lesson that we need to learn. There is no doubt you've got God with you. Christ died on the cross to pay a ransom for your sin. If he's already done the greater thing, how much more will he support you and be with you in everyday life? There is absolutely no doubt about it. But I'm not certain we're always all that convinced about it ourselves. In how we talk, how we act... Maybe what we expect. It's funny really, because Moses probably didn't need much empowering to look after the sheep. But he did need God's empowering to see people delivered from slavery. Today, The need is massive. Like I say, I don't know Lewis, but I'm sure it's just a reflection of society at large. It's far beyond our ability or resources. But we live in an age where the promise is even better. God was with Moses. That is absolutely wonderful. But do you know as a church, you are the place where God dwells? Not not this building, but you as a community of people. Ephesians 2 verses 19 through to 22, says that God is building you together on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, that you would be a dwelling place where God lives by his spirit. You are the dwelling place for God. Now, I'm sure there's some others in Lewis as well. But you are the dwelling place for God Almighty. The promise not just for a few of the gifted or talented, but for all who call on the name of the Lord. The promise is for everyone. The promise of the spirit, the promise of his empowering, it's for all, it's for the church, it's for us as a community of people. Not, not, a, not a promise for, for on the back of good works, not on the promise of your certain degree of holiness, but for a promise for everyone who believes on Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. You're the dwelling place. Not on the basis of law-keeping or commands, Not to be hidden away behind one meter block of stone of the temple, but wherever two or three gather together in his name, there he is with you. The promise. See, God sees the misery. God has initiated in sending his son, in calling you, ordaining the times and places where you would live. And God has given you his promise. The Spirit. It's not saying you've got to search and you've got the promise of the Spirit. He lives within you. you are, the very purpose you are here is to be a dwelling place where God lives. I know as I look around in Hastings that the, the need is far beyond our ability, humanly speaking, to make a difference. But we serve a massive God. Who loves people and hates sin. And he loves to co work with his people. And what he said to Moses, he says to you right now I will be with you. I will be with you. Why don't we stand? If you feel comfortable to raise your hands, if, if you're a visitor and you've never done that sort of thing before, please don't feel any pressure to do it. But if you feel comfortable to, it's just a sort of a expressing an openness to God and what God uh, wants to do. Lord, we we. Lord, we look and we, we marvel at how you called a rejected, broken 80-year-old who'd been looking after a few sheep in the desert and called him to, in many ways, be, be an instrument of such blessing to so many people. Lord, and we look at that and think, Wow. I thank you, Lord God, that we're called to be a Moses people that expresses your love, your freedom to a generation that are enslaved in sin. I thank you, Lord, that you see and you care. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have initiated and I thank you that you have empowered And I just want to pray for this dear church. I I ask you, Lord God, that if they don't see, I pray, Lord, that you would open their eyes to see what what you see when it comes to the pain around them. I pray for those that maybe feel that they've written themselves off. I, I ask you even now that you'd speak into their hearts your acceptance your pleasure, your calling, your desire that they would be involved. And I just pray, Lord God, will uh, your dear church here be freshly empowered by your Holy Spirit for the mission you've got for them. I thank you, you've not left us alone, but you sent your Spirit to empower us. And I I do pray, Lord, that you'd empower us now, but I pray actually more, Lord, that you'd empower us tomorrow morning as we go to our workplaces, as we talk with our friends. I pray, Lord God, that you will give us great boldness to share about you, great boldness to demonstrate something of your love and your grace. I ask that in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.